Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I'm your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are high-caliber fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. On today's podcast, I had a very high-quality conversation with Tyson Ray. Tyson is a founding partner at Form Wealth Advisors. And among other things in this episode, we discussed the concept of the total relationship, gaining full empowerment from a client by being totally engaged in that relationship, and then just providing the client with liberation to go live their life. It was profound. If you like this podcast, please like it and share it and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas for topics you'd like to hear in this podcast in the future, just let us know. Thanks for listening. So over the years of working with and coaching and consulting with some of the best financial professionals in the industry, there's been a recurring theme. I've said these statements so many times. Number one, the people who tend to like us the most need us the least, if you know what I mean. I mean, these are people, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing broken. We're not trying to repair something. They just want to refine and optimize and get to the next level. I've also said that there are some interactions I have where I get more out of the consultation than our client does. And then thirdly, I've often said that there are some consultations where the value of what's been shared with me begins after the conversation, which means the individual has said something to me that I started thinking about a day later, a week later. It was so profound. And this guy right here, Tyson Ray, fits all three of these areas. I've known Tyson for many years. He's been a profound supporter of ours. But most importantly, is the embodiment of what it means to be the advisor of the future, what it means to work on your business and on yourself personally and professionally. Incredibly thought-provoking. And we're going to have a great conversation. So right up front, Tyson, thank you very much for being here as always. Yeah, happy to do so. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. So we're going to cover a lot of ground here, but I, I love the theme. And the theme is why you shouldn't acquire a business. Many people are running around right now thinking, okay, I've got my organic business so well-tuned that I can take that intellectual property and process and shift from organic growth to scalable growth. And we've been involved firsthand with many teams who have done that, and in many cases, repeatedly. Tyson has a very well-built-out business, incredible bench strength, and you got yourself pretty deep into the red zone yourself, ready to acquire a business. 
and you decided not to. So let's start there. What happened? Well, actually, it was like the first time in my career I reached a point where I couldn't make the decision. It, it felt it felt like it checked all the boxes. It was a culture fit. It was a process fit. It was a timing fit. The 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 and yet there was just something about it that just caused me pause. And it boiled down to a couple of different things. I actually I reached the point that that when I finally decided I couldn't make a decision. I reached out to a friend of mine. He's like, oh, he's like, I, uh, my dad, his dad was a very successful businessman. He said, his dad, when he can't make a decision, he casts lots like in the Bible. And I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, he writes down what the kind of the options are and pieces of paper and throws them in the air. Whichever one lands closest to him is the one that <clears throat> he goes with. I'm like, okay, that was on a Friday morning. So Saturday, I sat there and kind of decided I'm going to do this. Like that's, I, I was that perplexed. It was in the fine. We were in the final stages. It was kind of late October. We were going to close and be January 1st up and running and of, of this year. And I had to take some time to discern, okay, what am I going to put on these pieces of paper? First of all, like, yes, no, wait, right? No. And then what I did is I wrote down no and the reasons for no. And then I wrote down, the okay the purchase is going to be this and this is the terms and then the last one was you can figure out all the terms but the net after debt payments needs to be this profit level so it's like and that's where everybody was getting we were kind of getting a little bit lost in the weeds but it just didn't feel right so anyway i went to my wife jenny and i said hey this is what we're going to do and i and okay and i said here you throw you, you throw them up there she's like i'm not touching those <laughs> like somehow she'd flick her wrist wrong or something so anyway, I grabbed them, I threw them up in the air, and two of them flew off like they were meant to be together, and one landed right between my feet, and the and it was no. And so I would like to, in hindsight, be like, yes, I made the decision to say no to this transaction. No, I couldn't. I was like, it is so impressed upon us that this is what we're supposed to do, right? That by divine intervention or chance or whatever you want to call it, I got to know, and thank God I got to know. Because it helped me realize and get some perspective on how well our business is doing and how I don't have to go through acquisitions. Can, but don't have to. But I have perspective now where I see some other, uh, uh, some very good friends of mine in the business or just the industry in general. It's like, oh my gosh, it's the expectation. Like you just need to take this over any chance you get. And I think it's partially because the transaction I did before it and several transactions I've done in my career have taught me some things that these sometimes don't go as expected. And sometimes I actually question, would I have been better off not spending that money, but just spending that money on my business and, and on the process and the communication or just the, the uh, or not having the stress or the, 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 the energy robbed of me trying to put these deals together or execute on these deals? Would my life be better if I didn't do them? And that's what struck up this conversation that's now caused this podcast. Well, first of all, I just love when an individual's free will and God's will come together. That is profound. So let's let's come back to that. I also see on the blue square method, we we've highlighted the cue. I know that your decision had quantitative and qualitative considerations. So I want to get into that as well. Anybody listening to this right now, if you haven't already figured out, 
Tyson is a pretty thoughtful guy. Um, one of my favorite quotes, Mark Twain said, there's the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. And we've all heard the conversations about why, what's your why, the sense of purpose, what gives us meaning. And I do want to go there as well, Tyson, and talk about the many layers to your purpose and what gives you fulfillment. But let's let's peel this apart. Let's talk about some of the quantitative and qualitative considerations. And here's something that's very important for everybody. It's not whether or not acquiring a business is the right thing to do or if it's flawed. It's what's right for you. Where is the merit? Is it a good fit? You think about sports. One of my fast, most favorite things to study in sports are the trades the teams didn't make. And then because they didn't make the trade, they went on to success. So interesting perspective. But Tyson, talk to us about the qualitative and the quantitative considerations that came out of that exercise. Yeah, I, I think out of that exercise and then and other ones, um, the year before, and I think this was what really caused me pause on doing another acquisition, is the uh, literally year before I had acquired another practice. And right. It was, uh, I paid a little bit more. I think I got caught up in wanting to get the transaction done and getting it across the line, like wanting the win and not letting it go. Paid a little bit more than maybe I should have for it. I didn't do probably some of the deeper due diligence. And I, my why of why I do this is I want to help people. I literally want to save people from this financial industry that wants to sell last week's winning lotto numbers for a fee that somehow that's going to affect someone's future. And, and the peddling of product and the different things that are out there or, or some of the ethics that they try and legislate away that just some people don't have when it comes to putting clients' interests first. But the other side of that is just realizing, you know, uh, this last year, so January of last year, we bought uh, a $50 million practice for about $1.2 million. And I realized after that year was ending, that same year, we brought on $50 million of new assets. And it didn't cost me anything other than my, you know, you could you could probably say, okay, it cost me my marketing budget of about 200000 And I started doing the math on that. It's like, what am I doing? That $50 million was about 10 households that made up the $50 million. The $50 million practice I bought had 120 households. And so who am I really helping here? The 10 that came on and made the decision to join our firm and, and buy into our process or the time and energy I spent on these 125 people to come and, 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 and be a part of our firm and realize, wait, we're different. We want to take you through this process that you didn't ask to go through, right? Because all of a sudden you're the default after the transaction between the two owners. You know, I think one of the problems I'm realizing in this acquisition is the clients are left out of it. Right. We're all supposed to put the client's interests first, but it's two advisors negotiating over something that's not theirs. And then and then you're telling the client whether they, the, the, the advisor is staying on or retiring away. The truth of the matter is, is for our practice, we would want to take them through our entire process so they have the same exposure and experiences that every other client that we have has. And yet they were content where they were. They weren't, they're not expected to come in and have a meeting and reveal everything that they have and show, your, show us the tax returns and the estate documents and all this other stuff because 
that's not what this other advisor did. And that's not what most advisors do, quite frankly. So it was just, it was eye-opening as far as I want to make a greater impact to the individual we can, but when all of a sudden you take on 125 of them that weren't asking for this, like that becomes difficult. And in, in looking back on ones that I've done that I even would say successful, I can sit here and name clients that it took years for them to kind of evolve into the level of trust and the level of buy-in that the client that came to me and went through our process and they decided to move their assets from point A to point B, they decided to change the advisor relationship. That allowed so much more trust to be given and, and built off of from day one then day one, I'm inheriting this relationship, this trust from somebody else that's not me. It wasn't my firm. And what's interesting is the advisors that I found that want us to take over their practice love what we're doing. They weren't doing sometimes what we're doing. We're going to come and, and, and uh, provide other planning resources and care and services and uh, longevity that obviously they weren't able to provide as they're transitioning to retirement. And yet, how do you go to them and say to them, the clients and say, hey, your advisor wasn't doing any of this. <laughs> uh, and yet here, well, this is why we got to make some of these changes. Or this is why we kind of need to get out of this product is, well, your advisor was paid all up front. He's not going to be here anymore. He's also not going to be responsible or liable 20 years from now when this doesn't work out because this isn't what you need based on what you just told me. So it just, it's, it's, there's a lot of um, sounds real good here. I'm going to be bigger. Here, I'm going to have more revenue. I'm going to have more assets. I may have more influence. No, you're going to work more. It's going to be quite expensive. It's going to be a stress on your team and your quality of life. And from an integrity standpoint, you have to be careful how you do that, where you also don't take your energies away from the clients you had that gave you the platform to do it in the first place. It's not wow, all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> well, there, there have been many, many wins, many a lot of those wins have been because the bar was so low in the former environment and it was such a dramatic upgrade that it revealed so much upside. But oftentimes there is leakage. Oftentimes there's unintended consequences and you have to ask the question at whose expense is this? Like you, you, you said, you, you brought on, 10, did I hear that correctly? 10 clients that you organically attracted, I'm assuming through introductions and other branding and business development efforts, 10 clients, $50 million, 125 human beings. I mean, just logistically for you to onboard, elevate, and let that dust settle for 125. Whose expense is their happiness coming? Is it coming at the expense of your existing clients? Is it coming at the, your own expense in terms of sleep and you know health and wellness? I mean, these are important considerations. And your point about the client never asked for it. It was a transaction that occurred. And now, you know, the advisor is meeting with a, this brand new client. They just positioned everything. And now they're saying, oh, this is flawed. This is flawed. And in their inside voice, the client's sort of feeling guilty through association. Like they're feeling sort of underwhelmed by what the last five or 10 years have been with their former advisor. There's so many emotional components to this, let alone practical. 
I think the most dangerous acquisitions are the ones where you're buying out the advisor. There's no team or support staff behind them. There's no one else that can kind of bridge that relationship. That advisor is looking to have a, have uh, have the exit and monetize their practice as they should, because you have to have the team and the capacity to then absorb all of that work and all of those people. I look back on some of the most successful acquisitions I've done, and it's where there was a team behind it that you could train mm-hmm. the team up and you had some runway to basically bridge those relationships and, and have that support. And yet most advisors are, are these standalone individuals that they are seeking to retire. Oftentimes their support staff or their assistant or, or the registered rep next to them is their same age or, or older in some cases. And somewhere along the way, their quality of life and the fun they wanted to have prevented them from mentoring the junior advisor and spending the time to train up that junior advisor to be able to be that liaison to help that monetization. But it's, I'm sitting there looking at what the, what's coming down the pipe from a retirement standpoint in our industry and the demographics of our industry. And I'm realizing that outside of some really interesting fits from an acquisition standpoint, I'm looking forward to be, be able to compete for the orphaned client that's seeking to make their own decision the, you know, versus the one that, that decided for them where their accounts were going to go or what firm they were going to go to. Because the other problem in the, with the lower interest rates that we've gone through and some private equity that got involved, the, the valuations that advisors are expecting mm-hmm. on these businesses only work if you're going to gut the office, cut it down to a call center-like atmosphere and possibly churn clients' assets to pay for the practice, which I just ethically can't do. Um, right. And yet, and yet, it's too easy for someone to compare their valuation of their practice to these industry standards that are somewhat elevated, and I think for the wrong reasons. Yeah, a lot of very good points, and I hope everybody from this is uh, getting the sense that this will add and supplement your vetting process as you go through the due diligence around should you buy or not buy. And it's interesting, I was mentioning to you guys prior to this call that I had a consultation today with a team that is uh, moving forward on an acquisition. It's about $200 million. But what's terrific about it is that the legacy advisors will be riding off into the sunset gradually. It's not an abrupt change. It will go in stages there will be a bench strength that will pour it over. So for familiarity, and there's a philosophical buy-in that the, like the legacy advisors who had no continuity and succession plan, which was shocking to me, but they had redundancy, but they got out in front of this. Like they've been telling advisor, sorry, telling their clients that this is something they're going through. They got great feedback from their clients and um, it's going to make the transition pretty seamless, but I don't think that's always the norm. It's and and the other thing in terms of what motivates the the sellers is that their primary concern was the the betterment of the client, the liquidity event, the monetization. Very important. It's their life's work, but it was a distant second to what's in the best interest of the client. So that's pretty much nirvana for this team here, but got to consider both sides of the coin when you go through this exercise. And 
Yeah, because there, I, I've seen scenarios where the advisor who's acquiring is so fixated on where the unmet needs are and where the vein of gold of untapped opportunity is. And then because it's such a bear of a of a transition to onboard these clients, those clients that were sort of on the fence, that's the only nudge they needed to go somewhere else and not even give the acquiring advisor a chance, a consideration. That just propelled them to move on uh, somewhere else. So, yeah, these are very good points you're making, Tyson, for sure. And some of it has a lot to do with also whether or not the whether or not you're changing custodians. So, I mean, repapering a practice for acquisition right. is is a whole different scenario because that's literally where the clients have to sign to come on which this practice that I said no to was that, and that senior advisor had never changed firms and had not gone through that. And so that was on my little list of reasons why not to do it. That was one of them. The other one was asking every client to rehire you to come to a place that's unfamiliar to them after you're down in last year's markets from an asset value standpoint. Timing has a lot to do with it. I did an acquisition in 2020 that doubled our practice and it was phenomenal. And, and the problem is, is that gave me a taste of thinking, this is how this is supposed, this, th- one, that, yep, this is what the industry has been saying. This is how to have, achieve greater success and greater growth. And what's ironic to that is, is, is that I think there is just as much opportunity of the organic growth. Right. When, when you're, when you know your why and you have your value proposition, because the market demographics are such, there's a shrinking number of advisors and there's an increasing number of opportunities. And there are more and more competition to do it yourself. There's more and more ways to try and let a technology tell you what to do with your wealth, but nothing I think is ever going to replace the, the total relationship that a client can have with an advisor who's interested in holistic planning, covering all of their needs and, and having the team and the support staff to, to be able to bring that value add in an environment where the average advisor is often still working by themselves or working within a firm that that they they have they share an assistant or they share some type of support. Um, and I think these bigger, more successful teams will have easier ways of merging and acquisitions and having legacy. And yet the demographic of the industry is it's very much still a uh, a model of an advisor and maybe a registered assistant. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now I want to build on this as an extension of the why there's that powerful element of the bedside manner. So you talk about volatility, turbulence. Uh, there are, Friends of clients who have been ghosted by their advisor. They're feeling apprehension and uncertainty about the future. Let's talk about that sweet spot between AI and EI, artificial intelligence. Call that technology. And emotional intelligence. Call that relationship management. So you have this concept, I guess I could call it, called um, a table talk. What is that and how important is it when when things are uncertain and there's a lot of noise? Yeah, the table talk, I think I I think I'll put that frame that in the perspective of at some point in 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 the success of the financial industry, 
you run up against the, the big three. And one, you can do one well, and often the two others will, will sacrifice or be put to the side. And the big three are you're managing the relationships, you're managing the money, or you're managing the practice and killing the bugs and paying the bills and marketing and, and new business and acquisition and all compliance in that. Depending on your, how your firm is set up or your broker dealer is set up, you know, those, some of those things can be mitigated for costs. But what I found is, is that um, uh, to focus on that relationship part, as we get bigger, it's just to have, uh, as, we've, as we've gotten bigger as a practice, it's literally finding people that are focused in those different areas and getting really deep in those different areas. But within the reality of how to manage a relationship, what we call hashtag table talk is the fact that our desire at least once in the life journey of the client is to have the opportunity to meet them at their kitchen table. And the power of that um, was reiterated to me just recently. I had a client that they had moved to in, the, the, in this specific case, they had moved to their third home. It was their retire. It was the retirement community home that they had moved to the third home. I had gone and seen them at this home once sitting at the table. And again, you kind of saw what was on the walls, what pictures did they have up, what, what little trophies or little knickknacks, what clubs, even how tidy the house is, just a reflection on who these people are that you can take in and almost not even, you know, our ability to take in so much information and not even be able to put words to it, but you're like recording this experience. And what I'll never forget is we were sitting there and in their backyard, their backyard butted up to this nature reserve. The nature reserve had a trail and all of a sudden these people are running through what I thought was their backyard. Turns out they were just on this nature trail. And I thought, was that annoying? And, and, and Roy laughed and said, no, he's like, you know, some people watch birds. We watch people run by. And it's like, it's literally like you're supposed to see a deer and a squirrel and, and birds and they do. But then in this time of year, and it was in the spring and fall, and it turned out it was the track teams and the cross country teams that were running down these trails. Fast forward about a decade later, and this just happened about a week ago. His wife, Bunny, calls out of the blue and is frantic, wants to talk to just me because she's used to talking to a relationship advisor that we have that handles the day-to-day -day for her. She wanted to talk to me. She wanted to talk to me. I got on, I was out of the office when I found out about it. I got on the phone, and she's calling to tell me hospice has come. And she's calling to tell me it, we don't know how long he's going to last. She's wanting to understand what needs to be done. Do I need to put someone's name on the bank account? And I'm just checking off the boxes of all the planning that we've done for all the years that there's nothing you need to do. You're seeking to try and do something because you're trying to control a situation that's uncontrollable. All you can do is just be there for Roy and know that we have it covered. Everything is fine. And as I'm helping her process through her questions and, and, and things, I said, hey, are people still running in the backyard? It's this time of year. She goes, oh, yes, they were just here yesterday. They were, you know, I saw the new track team, and Roy and I were sitting there. And just because of the table talk of being there a decade earlier and knowing that that's kind of that, – that was just something that was fun and funny to them, that I waited till I felt she was in the right mindset for me to just toss that out there, and it totally shifted her mindset. And she laughed. She thanked me for the call, and I ended the call by saying this. Do you need me to come over there right now? And she thought about it for a second. I could just hear her pondering it in her head. And she's like, no, 
no, I don't think that's going to be necessary, but I'll let you know. And, okay. And I, and I may not have to go over there, but the fact of even just offering the fact of knowing that because I spent one time there, it, it just, it, um, it, these clients are like family. So family gets together at homes and I'm not doing daily house calls. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's very wise to get off our pedestal sometime and, and go and be relational in a way that most people won't take that time to do. And what you don't realize is taking the time just once, it is a less more mentality. I can have less meetings with clients because I had one meeting in a setting that let me relationally connect to them or let, let our team relationally connect to them. And in that one meeting, take in so much more information than if I would have been met with them every month for years in my office. Yeah, it's profound. <clears throat> Again, I can't say enough about the power of the bedside manner. And yes, we want technology. We want to automate. We want to create efficiencies. But all of these things that you operate in the form of technology are at the end of the day designed to liberate you to place what you just described as being the top priority in relationship management. The high touch is a byproduct of high tech. So we don't rest on technology. We use it to, to manufacture time, the bandwidth, to place an emphasis on that. Yeah, very, I believe that advise I don't think advisors are going to lose relationships their clients to AI or technology. I think advisors are going to lose relationships to another advisor that uses AI technology. That's very well said. So they're not losing a client to technology they're losing a client to an advisor that uses technology but does not forget about the high touch and the relationship management. Yeah, the technology that we use is to make uh, to do repetitive work faster that makes us more productive so we can spend more time on the relationship. The the, the technology that can can do the fact finding can can uh, there's AI out there that can read a 150 page trust document and tell me who the trustee is, the successor trustee is, what the terms of the trust are. I don't have to read the document. I can see the cliff notes and then I can ask the client, is that what you wanted? And I go dig into it if I want to, because it'll tell me the reference pages of where it is. So that all saves time. There's a lot of technology that can save us time. The facade is just like the advisors for years have been telling me that they can't seem to find the young rainmaker they can't seem to come find the person that's gonna make their business successful for them is the same people that are hoping technology is gonna make that business more successful by talking to their clients for them. And it's like, you're never gonna be that, you're never gonna hit that level of success because the, what, what is unique about a business is the culture and the relationship and the energy that's produced by the human interaction that only humans can do to each other. And we can do Zooms and we can do podcasts and, and we can get a little bit of that, but there's nothing better than a handshake, looking at the eyes, being able to, uh, I, we get embraced by our clients when they walk in because they're so happy to be here and appreciate what we do for them. You know, it's powerful about that. So recently I've been researching and reading about AI coaching. It, it exists. 
AI coaching. So artificial intelligence will be your coach and an accountability partner on so many different areas. And I started to think, oh, wow, like our industry is being commoditized too. As I started reading about what that looks like and what those deliverables look like, it occurred to me. It can, it can give advice that's very similar to the advice I can give in terms of the talking, the words, the guidance. But it can't ask the questions the way I can. So if you think about that Socrates quote, I can't teach them anything. I can only help them think. It's full circle. So it's forcing me to up my game and just... Don't try to be interesting, be interested. Ask great questions, help people come to their own conclusions, put them in possession of the truth and a factual reality, but don't try to convince them that it's my idea, help them come to their own conclusions. Through all forms of chaos and change, there are opportunities. That's what I'm discovering on my end. I think you're finding another gear personally and I do want to spend a second before we're done on the math on, on when you didn't launch, when you didn't go forward in that transaction, but I'll park that and come back to it. I want to shift a little bit to the whole concept of purpose. So break down for us in any order you like the things that give you meaning and purpose and what you're trying to accomplish going forward. I'm going to come back to that. Your your response about you had said that you know you you're asking the questions and making them think. The way I would frame that, or the way I and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I I my wording of that is my job is to ask the questions so the client can find the answer that's in them. It's their answer, and where AI and technology is going to break down there is AI can tell you what the fact is. But where AI shuts down is if there's 70 different answers and all of them are right for different reasons, and we have to pick one, AI will short circuit. Because the purpose of our job is to find out what is it that the client wants to do the most with the limited resources that they have to say no to all the other things. And I'm not there to give that answer. I'm there to ask the questions to get to their answer. Now, as far as what gives me purpose... Everybody in my office has got one of these. Actually, there's two of them, but there's... So what gives me purpose is the values that we have within the firm starts with the premise or the belief that people's lives are at stake. I believe it was Nick Murray of a book that I wrote that basically was talking about Noah's Ark. And it's basically like a life or death. You are going to run out of money. You are going to have permanent forever financial regrets of decisions that you've made or you're not. And the advisor's job is to save them from drowning in the abyss of the information age and the financial pornography that's out there and, and, and the get-rich schemes and all the greed and fear and everything that is becoming this short-term mindset world that we're in. <clears throat> and our job is to pick you up and take you across this abyss of, it, of what is your life to arrive you at what we call in our industry, and we literally categorize clients this way, is our job is to get you to utopia, your utopia, 
which as we would define, it's the best life that you can afford. And you are now in that rhythm of life where you have the peace of mind, the sleep well at night, using one of your phrases, you have a level of contentment that just bleeds love and joy and peace, and you are fun to be around. And that's our mission. That's our job. And we often judge that result at your funeral. How'd we do? <clears throat> the values that go behind that are some things that, that, our, there's four words to it, wisdom. Uh, we know that wisdom comes from learning. I have had the privilege of interacting with literally thousands of clients from the time I was about 22 years old for the last 25 years. And all I've tried to do is glean from every person that I've met with wisdom of their life experiences that I didn't have. But what I found is you can take information and experiences and decisions from others, good and bad, and turn around and apply them to someone that says, you know, these people have gone before them. Now I can come back to this other person. Oh, you're selling your business. Oh, you're retiring. Oh, you're dealing with this situation. Well, let me tell you what I learned from another individual that I thought was wise. <clears throat> and our job is to take that wisdom and share it. Another uh, another value that we have is accountability, which is to be accountable to each other, it's to be accountable to our clients, it's to be accountable to high ethical standards. What gets me excited about holding myself accountable, like did, did I get my workout in, did I eat well, do I have my energy going, am I meeting with the clients, are we doing our annual reviews? And, and that's just part of our culture. Uh, third, it, it is service. It is the desire, I say to people that come here, it's like, our, I, all we want to do is serve the needs of others. Uh, I, my favorite story with that is the client that called me because her husband was out of town. She was jumping on a flight and she called to tell me, Tyson, there's a bat in the bathroom. I have to go. Can you help? It was eight o'clock at night. I want to say it was like a Sunday evening and she was going to fly out of town and all she knew is she had a dead bat in her bathroom and she was beside herself. And I said, Judy, I got it. I got in the car. I drove over to their house. She had left the door open or unlocked. I let myself in their home. I go up to their bathroom upstairs and <laughs> both my surprise and the bat surprise, the bat wasn't dead. <laughs> so I took care of the bat and the pro and, and that why? Cause it's service and it was a way of helping. And the best part of that whole story, and we'll, we laughed to this day about this is about a month or two later, I got a Batman trophy in the mail sent to me from the client that thanked me for taking care of the service and everything in between. So wisdom, accountability, service, and then honesty. And this is the biggest one I think that's missing in our industry. We actually speak and try and speak brutal honesty to a client. You do that, you will regret it, you will run out of money. Now is not the time. Or if you keep working, you're going to wish you didn't. And it's basically speaking brutal, honest truth into clients' lives and stop appeasing them. That when a client just calls and wants to take out a dollar amount and, and there's no advice as to the consequence of that, if it's excessive or it exceeds a certain percentage of their account over time, like our job is to basically put clients in check. However, what I've realized is that we don't have to do very often because people that have spending problems don't become wealth management clients. What I have found, and I found this out about 15 years ago, is speaking brutal honesty to clients is helping them spend the money they have now. I tell so many clients that are retired that you save for later and later is now. That's, 
and you have a phase of life that there's only so many more years you're gonna be able to do some of these things. And why don't we take some of the profits from these accounts and do some of these things? Because you keep having this mindset of saving for later. We're creatures of habit. If I've saved for 30 years and then I retire, that mindset of taking money now out of those accounts is very hard for people. And we believe that we have the privilege of speaking honestly into clients' clients' lives by telling them, yes, you can. Yes, you should. And again, going back to thinking that people's lives are at stake, we believe that because of the, the faith we have in our process, the optimism we have as a core belief, the resourcefulness we have of our team and the mission of our, of our firm, that we can make those lives better. We can change those lives. And in the end, our mission or our why is to make our clients' lives better, to be worth a multiple of what we charge, and to enhance the love, joy, and peace in people's lives. And ironically, Managing the money, everything else takes care of itself when you start there. To position yourself as a subject matter expert while efficiently creating professional contrast in the eyes of your prospective clients, strategic partners, and ideal clients, deploy a podcasting initiative using the turnkey process developed by Proudmouth. Learn more at proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life, and all in an intuitive, easy-to-use turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Well, and I don't mean to, what you said there was so powerful, but you think about the conversation around fee worthiness. I mean, and that earlier point, that signal to noise ratio helping people tune out the noise and focus on what matters and and creating an environment where you've earned the right to be that candid with a client about you know their requests or their aspirations or what they want to do with their money and giving them permission that later is now that's very very good there's a quote the only quote that's in this book twice. Uh, C.S. Lewis. What a guy. Great writer. Tried to tell us so much within his books. And some of it very subtle. But he said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Uh, that to me really drives the importance of being so incredibly fixated on purpose 
our, our physical time here at the longest is brief. But um, I know your, you know, your family, your team, your client community, your residential community, the global community, and that includes advisors. You talk about helping advisors. How specifically do you envision accomplishing that? Like, what what are you trying to put financial professionals in possession of above and beyond uh, some of what you described there? Uh, at the highest levels, if I could just um, hardwire uh, the brutal, honest truth that you can't time the markets, but you can time the client's needs if you ask them what they need. And at the, at the, and it's just amazing. It's not many things. It's not many things. And specifically an annual review in our, in our process is not, I have, we do not get into what is their percentage exposure to large cap, mid cap, small cap. What is their rate of return relative to some arbitrary index? Our annual review process starts with how is your family? This goes back to the form in some regards of things we've learned from you. How is your family? <clears throat> we literally write down if your parents are have passed, how old were they when they passed? And then I ask, does that affect how long you think you're going to live? Because the the, the, the client that has the, the, the parent that passed in the 50s from a heart attack or some major illness may have a different opinion of whether they're going to live to the 92 or 100 hypothetical that the, the default of the planning software is. Well, guess what? These are things you can know. Or you can find out, oh, you're both your parents are 95 and you're telling me you're old at 65. We've well, got 30 years to go. So we ask, and how are your folks? Because parents, we ask the question in the boarding process and then we follow up on it, which is, you know, there are three sets of, there's three types of parents. Those that we're going to financially have to care for, those that are going to be at a break even, or those that are leaving something to us. Where do your folks fall? And the reason I ask is, is we can plan for your retirement, but if we're going to also have to plan for caring for your parents, I need to know that on the front end. And then in the different settings of what the answers are, we just simply ask, how are your folks doing? And the annual review process after your parents is the children, if they have any, after their children, it's their pets, because I found some people like their pets more than their kids. When a dog or a cat or a bird passes away because we've captured the name of the pet, we will send them a frame with the pet's name engraved in it. They can put the picture in it. They have it. But it's just like, hey, we're, we, we're going to grieve with you. When they have the grandchild, we'll send the kids the grandchild's name and birth date on a frame and send them that picture. They'll put the picture in it. But it's like, Every annual review is an update on the family and the things you love and care about. Then it's about your health, because if all of a sudden I want to talk to you about your portfolio or review things in the market or so on and so forth, and you just got diagnosed with stage four cancer, like better start with the, any changes to your health, because all the rest of that doesn't matter if that changed. And after those two, the, the, the family and the health, things you love, and then your, your own health, it is how's the home? Any home improvements, major projects, do we got to replace the roof, tree fell, whatever. Who's paying for that? Where's the money coming from when? Travel, because they love to take their trips. Again, who's coming from where, when? And vehicles. 
I call those the big three expenses. It's really homes and cars, but I threw travel in there too, because especially after COVID, like these people want to get caught up, but they miss their trips. But what those big three have been in my career have been the random unexpected phone calls of needing large dollar amounts, 20, 30, 40, 50, $100,000 to, to put the sunroom on or to buy the car, or finally we're going to take that 50th anniversary trip or whatever. And almost always it's been something that they had been thinking about for years or months. If they've had notice, there's been runway. And if I could get any advisor, if I could just program in every advisor, it's like, hey, can't time the market, but you sure as hell better know when the roof needs to be replaced or when that next automobile is going to be done. Like you can go do financial planning software and say, okay, you're going to buy an $80,000 car every five years and we can project that out and so on and so forth. But if you're not tracking the year that 80 grand's coming out and it comes out like last year, it comes out in the COVID market, like what value do you add? And our philosophy is, is if we know and we can identify in a 12 to 24 month time frame that this money is coming out, we start being responsible for understanding who's paying for it. Duncan, is that coming from your savings? Is it coming from the cash in the bank? Is it coming from the portfolio? Because it's coming from the portfolio. I want to monitor market trends to identify when the market's at its higher levels, because I have no idea if it's going to go to a higher high. I can know for perfect. I know I factually can know it's at the highest point or it's below. And all we want to do is catch markets on their uptrend to pull resources that the client's going to need in the future so that I don't get the phone call I got early in my career of the, the uh, $60,000 that they needed and they were at the car lot and they bought the car. And the market's down 20%. Now I have to sell that money to give them the car because they already bought it. And how do, I couldn't add any value because I never asked the question. And you time those needs and you have the ability to say to a client, you know what? Can we kick that out six more months and wait and see if we can get a better level? Can we, you know, because we weren't planning on that emergency or to be able to go to a client, I've, this is the best part of the permission business. Hey, we had a good year last year. You talked about wanting to do these things. Why don't we take some of that profit, stick it in cash. That's your resource to go do those things. Go buy that car, go fix that roof. Because when we have the excess, Let's not just leave it there. Let's carve some of it aside. And my favorite saying to clients is this. I'm not paid to tell you that. We're going to take money from the accounts that I'm charging a fee on, take it out of that account, stick it in cash so you can spend it. And why do I do that? Because that's how it's going to make your life better. That excites me more than having that money continue to compound so when you're later in life, you can tell me what you wish you would have done with all that money. No, I want to cross off these bucket lists. I want to make I want to make that home improvement. I want you to enjoy what you have. And let's have fun doing it. And what's amazing to us is that our phones don't ring off the hook when the markets go down or people or the world is out there panicking. It's like, no, if you pre-fund what the clients are going to need in 12 to 24 months in the future, they don't have any reason to be worried. You've got to be worried. And actually, I think you get sued. And I think you have a huge compliance liability. The client had a financial need, the market was down, they had to sell with the market down, and you're the fiduciary. I think you just, in the most effective way I've ever heard, defined what value add is. I, I don't get paid, I don't get paid to do this. Yeah. I thought I knew I had you. To I thought I knew you. And I will tell you something. 
I, I've seen people plateau and just self-awareness is what helps you not plateau. But you keep finding a way to push through and break through. It's very impressive. So if I'm a financial professional listening, I'm probably saying to myself, has Tyson and Kim and the team bottled this up? I want this. How do I bring this to life? Because I'll tell you something. You talk about the permission business. Advisors have all these resources that provide needs-based planning. That's the message. If you do that right, it liberates the messenger to have these conversations and provide this value add. Is it your intention or do you have it now where Tyson and company is an intellectual property that I can actually acquire to bring to life in my own way, in my own life? We have a couple things that, that um, I, I have a passion that continues to find energy to the extent I can express it. And so one of the ways that that's happening is every month we put out, and it was originally for clients, but it goes out into the social media world. You know, you put it out in the cosmos. Uh, it's called up or down. Yeah. Concept behind it was it dawned on me, every client uh, logs in or opens up their statement and asks themselves the question, is it up or down from the last time I looked at it? And I so thought, good. well, because I can't interact with my every client every day or every month, why don't I just answer it for them on at, at a very high level? <clears throat> and so we put together this up or down. To my surprise, I get as much feedback from financial advisors than I, as I do clients. And the reason why is our whole financial industry is caught up on this product or that product or timing the markets or trends that are all day traded related and, 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 and having nothing to do with the long-term perspective of the vast majority of clients that are retired, that are trying to live off of or accumulate this type of wealth, that it became an outlet for just perspective of, wait a minute, it just, it, you know, this is why this doesn't matter, or this is what you should be doing about it. Uh, and, and most of the time, you know, if, if these financial stations, if mad money started with, well, if you're a long-term investor, just stay fully diversified, have cash reserves, and don't panic. Now you don't have to listen to anything I'm about to say. Like, no one watch. But it's so out there in people's faces, they feel like, no, I got to have a little bit of that. And it's just I, it's just mind-boggling to me. But uh, Up or Down is one resource that's out there. We have a book. It is on Whoa, Amazon. Hey, hold on, hold on. I got to interrupt you here because I consume Sorry. Up or Down. And... It's a one-to-many deliverable where you can efficiently speak to a vast number of people, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like you're having a conversation with somebody. It's understated. It's nuanced. It's interesting. So from a personal perspective, you've got to connect with Tyson on LinkedIn and watch up or down and then just figure out how you can emulate your own version of that to answer unmet needs and questions that are asked in someone's inside voice and then just keep imprinting that the frequency and recency of that messaging will coincide with the stage of readiness because i'm sure i've said it to myself several times at the end of an up and up or down i said this has got to have created introductions from you uh for you from clients it has to have it's it, they're so good 
and there's the feedback loop of I may not have talked to you for a period of time that I feel even bad. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I saw last month's up and down. Thank you. And it's the whole purpose of it was I wanted to make people feel like here, you're getting a little yeah. one-on-one little of touch. a little of a little touch and, and some perspective. And then the team actually can p- pick up on that and run with it. And so that's, that is a ongoing one way of doing that. Uh, that's good. Or ha- having that resource. Tyson, while you're looking for that, I just want to remind everybody, and I do want you to finish our conversation on this point. I want to make sure I heard it correctly. You have acquired a $50 million AUM business for $1.2 million. And there were opportunities that came out of that. And it was a transaction that provided an ROI. You also organically attracted $50 million worth of new business from 10 or so clients. And that expense was $200,000. Did I get that right? Yeah, our marketing budget's about $200,000. So I kind of equated that. Oh, so the two hundred grand covers your entire community of clients. So, to the to create those ten, you got a multitude of benefits from the two hundred k. It wasn't just the fifty million in new business, right? And and you do you consider that you can consistently do that year over year organically? So the need to go out and buy a hundred million dollar business for three million dollars. Why would you do that? I mean, if you can keep that going. Well, and that's so part of part of the ROI, right? Of uh, I'm sitting here going, I'm spending all of this money on principal and interest payments. That if I took that same money and 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 doubled my marketing budget, doubled the way I can take, you know, up or down. We're bringing a podcast called Investors Behaving Better, and it's a, it's basically both for the client and the advisor to take to take information away from that because I think the the clients need to be reminded of what some of the fundamental stuff is of being how to be treated and what to be expecting from the advisor. And I think the advisor needs to realize that wait a second, I don't have to try and beat some market or or sell some product. That uh, or time something that is that that is outside of my control because uh, that's hard to do. It's stressful, and yet we're being told to do all of that in exchange for being able to just focus on some of these core fundamentals. And, and part of that is just how how we should be behaving in these information age that we're in. So one of the things I want to share about about one of the problems that is this industry, though, and one of the conflicts that's out there is. Part of technology is brought together portfolios that you can cover every stewardship principle you ever want in a portfolio and the internal cost of that portfolio that could be monitored and rebalanced by technology is three, four basis points. And all these major firms have them for people to have. And I think we're just going to be constantly dealing with the fact that an individual can sign up for that. But that AI doesn't necessarily know to raise that money or to deal with, well, is the money, should we raise the money to fix the sunroof or should we raise the money for the first class ticket for the trip you're going to take or for the, 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 the tuition for the, your grandchild or how these different needs present themselves? And we have these limited resources as a client that may be a lot of money, but they're still limited. You can't do everything. Um, that these Because the financial industry can't make any money anymore on the diversified products, they start creating alternatives. 
and they create different strategies and they create complex things that are designed to, well, if this, then that. So now we're going to try and time the market in a different way, which in the end have higher costs. And most of the time, those higher costs financially benefit firms that create incentives and compensation incentives to sell this stuff. And it's like, really, no, wait a second. The internal portfolio, when Warren Buffett told his kids, just own the S&P 500 index, you can do that for three basis points. The trick is, is when money should be in and when money should be out. And that really has nothing to do with the market. It has to do with what the client's needs are. And just don't make all or nothing decisions. And here's the greatest value added, the advice that I could give a financial advisor, is realize that the entire world can click their mouse based on how they feel and liquidate their entire life savings. And all you have to do is protect the client once from that. And make sure they have set aside the money they need so they don't have to feel the need to do that. We monitor clients' bank balances at their bank. Not because I want the money. I just want to make sure it's there. Because I say to a client, we ask if you want 20000 10000 5000 in your checking account, I'm going to call on our review and our every time we're talking, hey, Duncan, you got that twenty grand because that's your desired balance. That's what we call it. Because if it goes down, your anxiety goes up, you start worrying about stuff I don't want you worried about. And if it goes up, I want to be able to say, hey, you're supposed to be spending that. You said, you, what, what didn't you do that you said you were going to do? Okay, fine. Take the trip. Don't take the trip or we'll allocate it. But the value add is not trying to find the alternative to the investment markets that, thank God, have become more cost efficient and clients can get rates of return and participate in the capital markets that I think are amazing. But that doesn't have to be your value add for your fee. Your value add for your fee can be the relationship you get to have with clients. And that's why we, we are, have moved forward in writing a book that you asked how we could basically you know, take this and people could access it. We wrote a book called Total Relationship. It's on Amazon for pre-order. And the concept of the book is basically trying to break. It, it, it's the four steps to breaking the mold transforming the financial and uh, the financial advisor and client relationship and building true wealth. And in going backwards, building true wealth isn't necessarily building more money. It's building better lives. That money may fund those better lives. It's helping redefine what this relationship is and isn't and how technology is taking some of the, 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 you know, I started my career where we were the only place you could get what the stock was doing during the day. You know, the, the where here we're the only place that we could basically bring an IPO or basically help build out a portfolio. And again, technology has freed us all up that I can now have more clients that I can make a greater impact with because now we can automate that on their statement or they can log in and see all that. We can give them that information if they even want that information. But breaking the mold is trying to do away with this mindset that the advisor's job is to build the better mousetrap using one of your phrases or build the better portfolio or to try and beat some rate of return in a marketplace when you don't need to do that to bring value to a client. You need to, you need to beat inflation and, and, and have, a, have a normal rate of return relative to what the market provides, but you can do that so simply these days that it, it, you can almost automate that and still add value to the client by just not investing all of their money, by asking on an ongoing basis what that money is for. And so we put that in a book for both the client and the advisor to basically try and glean some of these, some of these stewardship principles and some of these ways that, you know, I think it's the, 
the book is is the summation of why we get so many hugs when our clients come in here, why our clients are so sticky, why we get the referrals we get, why we're four or five generations deep, why we're out three or four limbs. Uh, you know, I was I, once upon a time I was going to write a book that money does grow on trees. It's called Family Trees because sisters, brothers, uncles. When you when you family when you're asking about the parents and how they're doing you're finding out when they're going to have that event where you're going to need to do estate planning, gifting, wealth transfer, who's in charge. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what the plan is? Like, it's just, it's so freeing because you can, it, I, you can so can control all these controllables and not have to worry about what you can't control, which is the markets, the interest rates, the economy and the future rates of return of things. So Total Relationship is a book that is ultimately, in terms of the addressable audiences, the conduit, it speaks to both the client and the advisor and and what to expect, what to deliver, and how the values and the relationship is aligned. Yep. Yep. We're, we are looking at later this year, bringing out some type of one-to-many coaching, similar to some of the things that you have done. I often am getting on the phone one-on-one with individuals after those sessions and different things. We have the ability where we've acquired practices. We've, we have the, we've had the ability where I'll just give it away. Like it's like, it's it here, go make it your own. That's actually the best way of doing it. Go make it your own. Go do it. That's easier for me. Go, go do it yourself. Here's some of the tools. Ask me, let's brainstorm. By the way, in doing so, I've learned new things. I don't think I know everything. I think I've failed enough to figure out enough to try and get to this point. But iron sharpens iron. Let's, you know, you and I have brainstormed many times together and came up with a better way of doing something. Uh, But between putting the information out, trying to help people individually, trying to help people in groups, allowing people to come on board the more technology will allow us to basically push out some of these solutions to others. We're seeking that in the forms of CRMs, in some regards, some of the investment management solutions that we have that people could just mirror to just take some of those, um, to scale some of these aspects of the business that you don't want. You don't want to run the business. We can help scale that for you. You don't want to deal with the portfolios. We can help scale that for you right down to being able to put in the systems to monitor the cash balances of clients' needs. One of the things that cl- one of the things that we do that I don't know, I, I know most people don't do it because I can't find the solution within my custodian, and it wasn't a solution of two other custodians I've worked for. We have the ability to put into your portfolio if you needed three thousand dollars a month from your account. Okay, twelve months of that's thirty six thousand dollars. In your custom model would sit a separate non part of the model, $36,000 money market. And we do this at scale for the entire firm that at February's high, and most recently here where the market's up to its higher end of its trading range, I said, 12, I said, go out 12 months, which the management team goes into the portfolios, raises the $3,000 in your account and the, and the $20,000 in this other account, but it does it across the board that every one of my clients as of last week got 12 months of cash flow raised. Do you know how well I sleep at night knowing that every client I have that we've had a conversation, they told me, and we tell them, you got to tell us. I can't fix what I don't know. You tell me what you need on a monthly basis. You tell me you need 20 grand in, in, in six months. We will put systems in place to raise that cash so that I know, because that's my greatest fear. We're going to get the phone call. They need money in the market style. Well, I don't like that. I can't add value. 
So we built systems inside of wealth management to, to allow that to happen. It's agnostic of what you want your model to be. It's a th- way of thinking that, holy cow, can we do this? Yes, you can. And, and by and large, now we're actually earning some interest on that cash. But you want to scale how you run the business. You want to scale how you manage portfolios. We can help you do that. What I want to try and help equip most advisors are really good at relationships. They're really good at talking to people. They're really good at connecting. They're being told their value add needs to be all the stuff they don't control. And I'm saying, wait a minute, no. Your value add can be deepening that relationship and freeing yourself of all these headaches and doing that job better. And watch, you know, I'm a big believer that I'm getting energy having this conversation. Yeah. It's like you either do things that drain you or they, you do things that fill you back up. And these financial advisors need to realize, hey, what fills you up? Is it meeting with clients and solving their needs that have nothing to do with these things you don't control, but everything to do with your advice and the questions you ask and just your discernment and how you help them process life from the wisdom you've learned? And I think that's the truth of the vast majority of them, but they're so tired of dealing with all the stuff that drains them of compliance and marketing and portfolios and risk and reading research and all these other things. And, 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 and they got to come up with some solution that's better than in a world that no one knows tomorrow. Like my passion is to free them of that and then realize that there's a huge demographic of a client that's looking for someone that just says, take this responsibility away from me and help protect me from myself help protect me from this financial industry that's, that's feeding me this stuff, help protect me from the billions of dollars, trillions of dollars being spent on the marketing world to entice me to make a short-term instant gratification expenditure at my long-term expense. And just let me have peace. Let me just relax and enjoy things that I love to do. And, and, and then let's walk this life journey together. And that's why we called it this total relationship, because it's to engulf in each other what we're doing and then walk together and just be honest. How are you doing? How are your folks? How are your kids? How are the pets? How's the house? How's the car? Do we need to get a new one? We track clients' mileage. There's clients buy cars three different ways. A certain number of years, a certain number of miles, or until it's dead. And so, you know, I don't, I, I, it, it, people are tracking like alpha and beta and, and Greek letters and, and doing 30 pages of portfolio analysis to show a client. It's just like, hey, you said when you get to 100,000 miles, you're getting another car. Where are we? It's that simple. It's like, it's like uh, you know, this is a football, right? Uh, Vince Lombardi. It's yeah. just, it's that, it's that simple. It just is. So in other words, it's not just what money is and how much you have, it's what it does and what are you going to do with it and let's have the total relationship. See, I told you everybody, great message, great messenger, all signal, no noise. And I got, in fact, you know what? I got I got so much from this. You and I should do a two-day boot camp and it'll be 80-20. You do 80% of it. I'll do 20%. I'll chime in when I think I've got something meaningful to add, but we'll do it in Lake Geneva or we'll do it in Palm Springs. Let's maybe we we should do, both. do that or do both. Do, do Lake Geneva in the, in the summer in Wisconsin and do Palm Springs in like February. I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> Everybody get onto LinkedIn, find Tyson Ray and just consume how he 
interacts with the world and you know check out up or down and just formulate your own version of that as a one-to-many imprinting communication style and and that point you made about being in the permission business that is profound and that of course comes from just asking great questions being engaged and being interested not trying to impress somebody but to impress upon them i want to know what matters to you i want to know what financial independence means to you okay so Phenomenal. Tyson, conversation, just phenomenal. I really appreciate it. We'll do it again, of course. Closing comments, any other actions you want somebody to take? Yeah, I I, I think we all fail to realize that at the end of the day, clients really want to delegate responsibility and they want to be told what to do after they feel like they've been heard on what it is, what are their options? And... Um, Hollywood came up with the movie, The Bucket List. Great movie. And with an unlimited amount of money in the characters of that movie, they only came up with one page of things to do. And when I've sat down with clients and I tried to get really specific on what their bucket list items after you've tackled the house and the car and travel, it's two or three, four things. Like people are very simple. And the solutions they're looking for are very simple. And we don't have to provide them complicated answers. We just have to listen, ask questions, help them realize what did they get excited about when they were saying what that was? Like that's the interaction where AI is going to fall short. And pointing out to them, hey, I think you got most excited when you talked about doing the renovation instead of building the new home. I thought, I think you got most excited about going to Italy this year instead of staying here and you're afraid to spend the money. I think you should do this and realize that the value add that that can bring is worth a multiple of what you charge when your value is no longer about the portfolio and things you don't control. I am paid an advisory fee to take money out of advisory assets when they told me they need the money. Actually, I've never said it that consistently before. So I guess I was meant to say that. There it is. I think somebody will be writing that down as we speak. It's profound. Okay. Well said. Thank you. And uh, let's catch up quickly and talk about Lake Geneva and Palm Springs. I think it would be phenomenal. Um, Yeah. Total relationship, up or down. Tyson, always a pleasure. And as always, I got more out of this than you did. I'm convinced. Absolutely convinced. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. 
the content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.